Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks find themselves in unfamiliar territory on this Monday morning, the 18th of December, following a home loss to the LA Rams, 42-7, and firmly on the outside looking in of the NFC playoff picture for the first time in the Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson era. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Chu Danubi. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com. Where to start with this, Perkins? I know... Both of our experiences differ as to how we took in the Seahawks Rams game yesterday. Um, starting with yourself, maybe <laughs> given the circumstances, the blowout loss, you were in an advantageous position of not being able to watch it. Yeah, I uh, I got to tell you. So this is funny. So my wife's family has a Christmas party the Sunday before Christmas every year. Now because Christmas is on a Monday, they didn't want to do a Christmas Eve. They did it, you know, the week before. Now. You know, I've been to this this party, and it's a fun party, but it's on a Sunday in December every single year, which is annoying right. as a football fan because it's the most pivotal time of the season outside of playoffs. This for NFL. has impeded your Seahawks fandom before, hasn't it? It has. I've missed multiple games, but the two that are probably going to come to mind over the years now are, of course, this game that I missed. And in 2013, I missed the game against the Cardinals where... I don't even think Carson Palmer was in that game. Yeah, it was a Stanton game. Drew Stanton went and beat the Seahawks of course, in how an you know? ugly game. <laughs> um, so I, I remember going, man, I'm glad. I guess I'm glad right. that I didn't watch that game. So I was basically keeping track on Twitter throughout the day. And I feel like I, feel like I left my house. I had this brand new shiny house. I left it. I locked the door. I felt safe. Felt like if, you know, if worse comes to worse, maybe some rain hits the side of it. And then I come home and it is burnt to the ground. That is how I felt during that game, watching Seattle go down 13 nothing, And then I look at the half and it's, what, 34 nothing, And then the fourth quarter and the game's already a disaster and it's over. Then after the game, we know what happens with Earl Thomas talking about Bobby Wagner and then Bobby Wagner sending a tweet and then deleting it. But Judah, here were my takeaways based on hashtag Seahawks Twitter. And tell me if I'm correct or incorrect. Apparently, Tanner McAvoy is the worst thing that's ever happened to the Seattle Seahawks. And <laughs> the offensive line was less than stellar. Those were like my two big, big, big takeaways. Well, uh, you're correct on both counts to partial <laughs> degrees. Uh, the funny thing is about that Tanner McAvoy play is you could, I mean, we both watched a lot of football. You've seen that play happen so much. The explosive play that turns catastrophic in an instant um and i could just see it developing for some reason what i mean is i didn't have any type of reaction when tanner mcavoy what happened was he he caught a 15 yard pass over the middle when seattle needed a big drive on their first drive of the game you know um or i guess this is yeah no it was their first drive of the game and mcavoy had a catch he was moving the ball big explosive play toward midfield and just a perfect hit you know dislodges it he should have done better protecting the football, but we've seen that play happen before, so I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised. I just knew, well, that's a horrible way to start against the L.A. Rams offense that executes among the best of them. Then I felt pretty good because both times that L.A. had short fields to open the game, they got field goals, and Earl Thomas had an awesome tackle on a third and 10, 
and came out of nowhere to tackle Robert Woods two yards shy of the first down, forced a field goal there. On the McAvoy turnover, the defense held up to force another field goal. So it was 6 nothing, and it felt like even though the offense started so poorly early on, the defense was going to be able to keep them in a game, and the Rams, those two field goals were ultimately going to come back to haunt them. You know, they wish they would have gotten a touchdown at least one of those if it had that kind of feel to it. And then ultimately, no, nah, it, it didn't. So it what didn't happened? End up like that. Well, like, the offensive line, you're right. Dwayne Brown had a horrible game. Um, so he's finally a Tom Cable lineman. Yeah, he. Uh, it took him a while to come around to the system, <laughs> but uh, he's finally a Seahawk. He had two holds in the first quarter, and uh, everybody on the offensive line played poorly. I mean, seven sacks, Perkins, seven sacks. Speaks for itself. And every drop back Russell had, he was under pressure. This game, it's unlike any feeling I've had since Russell became a quarterback, obviously. Um, I, I, I turned it to red zone in the second half. You seemed I, I turned when it I to, came in this morning. I came in, I said, how's it going? And you still seemed very upset. So, so I woke up this morning yeah, kind of still thinking it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got in the car and was like, I wonder what I'm going to talk about on my updates today. And I was like, Actually, that really happened. Like the Seahawks, and it wasn't as much the loss as it was the reality of missing the playoffs. According to 538.com, they have a 13% chance. Yeah. And they play a Cowboys team that still has everything to play for now with Ezekiel Elliott coming back. So um, I think they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time under Russell Wilson P. Carroll. With that being said, bigger picture. You know, you didn't have to watch the game to have this question now is, was this a changing of the guard in the NFC West? And to me, it's not just the LA Rams. It's also the 49ers because I think the 49ers are on the upswing with Jimmy Garoppolo, who has yet to lose as a starting quarterback in the NFL, and Kyle Shanahan and what they're building on defense. I think the 49ers are on the upswing. I think the Cardinals are probably on the downswing with Bruce Arians. But I think the Rams, obviously, are not only on the upswing, but they're going to win the NFC West for the first time in 13 years. Was this a changing of the guard moment epitomized in a 42-7 defeat? Or, Perkins, was this an outlier of having a bunch of star players injured, including Bobby Wagner, who played anyway, even though he played poorly? Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's a great question. And I'm hoping that a loss like this, the worst in the Pete Carroll era, by the way, and that includes a 2010 and 2011 season that were not exactly fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2010, I know they they made the divisional round, but you know what I'm saying. A pair of seven and nine years, both of those. Yeah. So not bad, not horrible seasons, but you know, you, you certainly don't equate them at all to what has happened the last five or six years. So, right. I mean, I think it's hard because you don't want to overreact to a loss like this, but the fact that this was a must-win game in December, this was not a, you know in October 12th game, you know, in the middle of the season. This was a team that had their back against the wall. They were at home. At home. Remember Where when they Seattle used to be virtually nightmarish unbe- for yeah. teams to come in and play? They were virtually unbeatable at home, right? I mean, that's how it, that's how it had been. I mean, and it felt like that when they played the Eagles on Sunday Night Football three weeks ago. You know, it's it's hard for me to sit there and go, oh, this is an anomaly. Yeah, and you look at guys that are injured. Okay, Cliff Averill's injured, right? You go, okay, well, look, they get a bunch of guys back. Cliff Averill's injured. Cam Chancellor's injured. Richard Sherman's injured. You know, Bobby Wagner was out in this game. Okay, 
Cliff Averill's contemplating retirement. Michael Bennett hasn't been the same all season since his foot injury or whatever the hell he's going through. Cam Chancellor might have to retire. You don't even know. I mean, with with his injuries. Richard Sherman's going to be coming off of an Achilles injury if he can even play next year. I don't even, I mean, who knows how long the recovery will take. This is going to be a different looking team next season, and it needs to be. Not only on the field, but I think on the sidelines too, to a certain extent. I think you're going to have to see some changes. This team has no identity. Offensively, what is this team's identity? Well, it's what it's is it? Russell Wilson creating magic for four quarters, and he can only do it for so long. And he had one magical play in this game, and other than that, 142 passing yards. Um, well, Pete Carroll's not going anywhere. We I'm know not that. saying I'm not, but insinuating that. I know that you might be talking about coordinator talk, and it would make the most sense offensive on the offensive side of the ball. An offensive line coach, you know, sure. If you want to, if you want to make a move, what do you think would be the most? Is it overreacting to be talking about coaching changes with this? I mean, I know it's it's fan impulse to want to do that, but have we seen enough of a sample size to suggest that the Seattle Seahawks need to change an offensive identity from a coach? Because this Carol Bevel relationship has gone on for a long time now. It has, and they've won Super Bowls with it. Mm-hmm. This is a they went up against a LA Rams team that allowed forty three points to Philadelphia. Well, like technically thirty five, but yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. 35 points to Philadelphia. Excuse me. They allowed, what, 20 points to New Orleans, 24 to Minnesota. That's good defense. Yes. This is a defense. But they were 25th in the league in rush defense. Yes. And they were, honestly, this is a defense. I guess my point being is this is not, a, everyone still goes, oh, well, the Rams, now they have a good offense and they have one of the top defenses. No, no. this is not the defense of years past. Yes, Aaron Donald is a one-man wrecking crew. Defensive player of the year candidate now. He has to be. Three sacks yesterday. Yeah, with, with the way that he played. And, and I think he had like six QB hurries in the first half. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. So well, I guess my point being, though, the frustrating factor of this is you have a Seattle team in a must-win situation. In, against a team that is, yeah, very good offensively and has playmakers defensively, but you would still expect them to, Seattle, to come in and score, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to keep up at very least. We expected a game in the 30s. They scored seven points. Russell Wilson threw for 142 yards. As a team, they ran for 78. I mean, this is a team that that, that has no identity offensively. They've lost it. Oh. And they've basically lost it since Marshawn Lynch has left and haven't been able to find it. And at one point, you have to go, we had lightning in a bottle. When we when we were able to emphasize the run game, Bevel was a very good offensive coordinator, but we need someone else to run this ship when we now have a quarterback as your main playmaker. I mean, I don't know. Right, what- but see, here's, here's my pause there, is that what does Pete Carroll do? Does he fire Bevel and bring in a past-oriented offensive coordinator? Pete Carroll's the one that wants to run the football. He's had that. He's had that philosophy ever since he came into the league. Yeah. So in some way, do you think it needs to be Pete Carroll that changes? And to be fair, in terms of like strictly play calling, it's been pass heavy this season, especially the last five or six games. It has. You know, feels like every play is just a go route. (laughs) Almost more out of necessity because they've been coming up from behind. It feels like Bevel's in Madden and just picking Hail Mary every time. 
Yeah. Like he's just like like he's just picking you know all go routes every single time, and you know having Wilson throw one on one balls. That's how, I know that's not what they're actually doing, but that's just how it feels like from an outsider's perspective. Like when I when I look at things, it feels like they don't have a lot of just chip dink and dunk plays. It's like all or nothing. And by the way, paging Jimmy Graham, one catch for minus one yards. Can you? As a, as a viewer of this game, where the hell was he? Yeah, he. Uh, they didn't look for him much in this game, obviously, and he's just a frustrating non-factor. It, what made it even more frustrating was flipping on Pat Steelers and seeing Rob Gronkowski dominate. You yeah. know, because you know why? Rob Gronkowski's the best tight end in football when healthy, and Gronkowski had sixty nine passing uh, or receiving yards on a single drive. Easily the most he was memorable, very happy about most that. memorable drive of Gronk's a career. A nice drive. Really nice. Nice drive. And he scored, you know, a two-point conversion. Like He was so fired up. I was like, wasn't there a, a point in time when Jimmy Graham rivaled Rob Gronkowski in terms of top tight end in football? Seeing Gronk all over the place, fired up, making plays in contested balls, contested coverage, all types of different catches makes you realize, wow, Jimmy Graham, man, he's either... Converting in the red zone or bust because this year just hasn't it hasn't been there. It's been a disappointing trade. You can look back on the trade and say the Saints won that trade. So let me ask you this then. One one other question for you. Going back to the heads may need to roll here. If you're John Schneider, you went all in this year. You traded for Sheldon Richardson, a high draft pick in the offseason. You traded for Dwayne Brown during the season. You compromised your your high middle part of the draft because of that, to win this year. And now you're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, if you, are in, if you are in the front office and you see that, and you say, look, I know there's been injuries, but we put all the pieces around this team to have success. We brought in a left tackle. We brought in a defensive, you know, a nose tackle that can come in and, and be disruptive and has a history of being very good. And Sheldon Richardson, by the way, has been pretty good this year. Yet, we can't make the playoffs? Like yeah, injuries happen, but you're you may not win ten games this year after going all in with the talent on that roster on both sides of the football. I mean, if you're if you're looking at it from that perspective, that's really bad, well, really bad. The idea of bringing in Sheldon Richardson was to make a really good pass rush dominant. Has the pass rush been even close to dominant this year? No, no. in fact, it's been mediocre. So while Richardson has been decent, he's been actually good he's the had last moments. month. Yeah. He did go a stretch without being effective. Cliff Averill's injury hurt. I haven't seen Frank Clark do much now. He did have a strip sack yesterday, but when it was down 34 nothing, um, Michael Bennett hasn't been Michael Bennett. Um, so the pass rush has been very disappointing. The last time the pass rush was good was the Philly win. And, you know, you can hang your hat on that, but, you know, it wasn't good against Atlanta, you know, and you lose that game. It wasn't good against Houston. You should have lost that game. Um, was it good against Washington? No. Uh, I mean, not really. It had no. moments. It had moments, again, but the offense didn't show up in that game. Um, you know, and I, I keep going back. I'm not sure how much it would have been different if Richard and Cam were healthy. I, re- I really don't because the would the pass rush have gotten better because receivers were blanketed for a split second more? You know, I I guarantee if Cam was healthy in this game and Bobby was healthy, you know, they wouldn't have run for 244 yards yesterday. Would that third and 20 have been converted? I mean, I wanted to... 
do something drastic after that. I definitely threw one of these remotes in here. Um, yeah, Bobby Wagner looked like a shell of himself yesterday, and maybe he shouldn't have played. I think Earl Thomas had a point when he said that after the game that he shouldn't have played in this sense. Bobby Wagner, the way that he was playing yesterday, how slow he was, and you'll see on the replays how slow he was trying to track down some of the ball carriers yesterday. He was clearly hurt, and he was worse than his replacement would have been. However, you're playing Bobby Wagner because of the philosophy of, hey, we're in a make-or-break situation, we're in a desperate situation, we're playing at home, we're playing a good offense, we've got to have our leader out there. Not even for his presence, but also for calling make calling the defensive play calls. Yeah. But in terms of executing the defensive play calls, Bobby Wagner didn't have it yesterday. So Earl says his thing, then Bobby, frustrated as everybody else is, snaps at him on Twitter in a post that he later deletes saying, keep my name out your mouthy, still got love for you, but stop being jealous of other people's success. That and was the bad part right I there. I saw that on Bleach Report on my way home, and I'm like, but God dang it, this sucks. You know, keep keep podcasting, bro. That's what I text you. Just keep podcasting, keep bro. Keep podcasting, bro. Keep my name out your mouth. But keep podcasting. <laughs> what did you think about that? I mean, this is this is what I was going back to, where I was like, what the hell happened? I felt like I leave you guys alone for five minutes, and this is what happens. The team's falling apart. They're losing by six touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, what a disaster, just from top to bottom. And now there's infighting, you know, and this is a team that's always had a lot of personalities. I mean, it's hard for me to say anything really about this game more than just I just don't. It, I think the 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 most frustrating part about all this, Judah, is that this team really did go all in and they compromised the future to win now. Which I think was a smart move, given the pieces that they had, right? Like you have an aging defense, you have, you know, an offense that's in their prime. You know, this is the time right now. Um, more than ever, because eventually they're going to have to try to rebuild around Wilson, um, whether it's a quick rebuild or whatever, but they're going to have to try to, you know, eventually retool everything. So I get why they went all in, but it didn't work. And now you've really compromised yourself in the upcoming draft for a nine-win season, maybe a 10-win season, if you're lucky, and you miss the playoffs anyway, probably. I mean... And then do you... Are you cutting Richard Sherman? Are you cutting Jimmy Graham? All these types of questions. So you got And that's what I'm too. saying is this is going to be, I think, a very different look team. And I, I mean, on the field, and that's why I was saying on the sideline too. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how anyone can defend Tom Cable anymore. I just don't. I don't know how at this point. Well, and the players, look, they're just not good. Um, you yeah, know. But, but you look at, okay, so I, you have a first-round pick. You have, okay, you have Dwayne Brown. You have Justin Britt. Dwayne Brown's, he's fine, but I think his arrival was overhyped because of the pieces around him. He's a fine left tackle. He's not a annual pro bowler. He's fine. He's old. He's on the back nine. We got him now on a... Golf reference. On a bad contract. Dwayne Brown is no longer an asset like everybody thought. He was just a decent player that thought... People turned him into something that he was not because of what was around him. And uh, his age showed yesterday. Unless he's hurt, because he didn't play well. Um, Justin Bread is going to stay. You got to upgrade Hasn't at guard. Played great. No, but you got to upgrade at the guard positions. Both of them. Jokel's not good. Um, you got to do something in the offseason once again to upgrade your personnel on the offensive line. Britt and Brown are going to stay, obviously. Those are the two guys that are the best of a 
group of five that's just not good. We talk about, I, I think we undersell how good, you know, or or how at least consistent Seattle offensive line was in their Super Bowl contending years. I think of guys like McQuiston and Unger, you know, especially Unger. Yeah. But McQuiston as well was a solid guard. And and Okung, for as frustrating as he could be, was a solid tackle. Yeah. And Jack Omini, for as frustrating as he could be with penalties, was an aggressive right tackle. Um, you know, it, it was just a much better unit than whatever they've tried to roll out there the last couple of years. Giacomini was like a Fetty, but he could actually block. Yeah. He was, he was a good player. And he's found homes in the league since leaving. He has. He struggled this year, but he, has he? yeah, but he, you're right. And it's funny because at the time you're like, God, those guys aren't very good, but you really see what it, what not good looks like now. Yeah. And I guess that's my that's my point though. Going back to your offensive line coach is, you know, Fetty has shown some things this year. Um, you know, he's gotten better at releasing when Russell Wilson gets out of the pocket and this and that, and some little things you've noticed from him. But I mean, the guy's a disaster. He was your first round pick, and it feels like you've just been stepping sideways with him. Mm-hmm. And that's on the coaching staff. I'm sorry, like that's on developing guys. This is this has not been. You know, Tom Cable, who came in, what year did he come in? 2013? I can't remember. It wasn't, I, it was, it, I mean, it wasn't right when Pete came into town. It no, was. I think, but it was Russell's rookie year, wasn't it? Was it? Okay. But this is just feels like a guy that just either is not a good evaluator of talent or is trying to work with what was given to him. But, I mean, you have a lot of money invested in that line right now with Dwayne Brown, with Justin Britt. You know, you bring Jokel in for, what, five million bucks? You have a first-round pick on the other side. You have Posick, who was a high pick, and these guys are a disaster. A disaster. They're—I mean—they were awful yesterday, right? Yeah, they were—they were terrible, um, almost predictably so. But uh, <laughs> Cable was has been with the Seahawks since 2011. Um, yeah, and defensively, it was atrocious too. I mean, we can't can't get rid of that. No pass rush. Special teams too. Special teams was horrible. Horrible special teams. Special teams have, have slowly eroded over the past three years. Yeah. Maybe look at that, too, with Brian Schneider and just evaluate if he's the guy to coach that unit. Look, everybody's got to be accountable. When I'm seeing Fox put the camera on Jeff Fossil firing up his special teams unit, and Jeff Fossil's been special teams coordinator for the Rams for forever. Um, remember, he was the interim head coach on what was the Thursday Night Football last year after they fired Fisher and came up to Seattle. Fossil was coaching the Rams, but... Um, so he's lasted multiple coaching tenures there. When I'm seeing him fist bump and get all fired up multiple times in the same game, you know, Seattle special teams is getting their ass handed to him. That can't <laughs> that can't be acceptable either. I think I'm still a little bit in shock. When the NFC playoffs actually happen and the Seahawks aren't in it, I might I might shed a tear or two. It, it's going to be real tough to uh, to swallow, but it might be the wake up call this team needs. I mean, I mean, there's no other real way that you can spin it positively than, well, this is the ultimate closure from from the 2014 Super Bowl collapse. It's been a slope grind all the way to this point. Now they missed the playoffs. Now let's start afresh. Hit the reset button. Russell Wilson coming back for year seven balls to the wall let's make this happen there's no excuses now you just missed the playoffs yeah and you're right I mean you almost wonder if not like let's say they win 10 games and get in I mean is that better than missing the playoff like it yeah feels it like, is yeah but it feels like missing the playoffs like you said I mean 
if they make the playoffs, is the coaching staff just going, well, you know, injuries this year. We would have won more, but it was injuries, and they just, you know, do keep doing what they've been doing. Right, that's a good question. So what are the isolated problems that are always problems, regardless of whether or not they make the playoffs this year? Do you want to see Tom Cable go, regardless? The offensive line has been bad, and it's been bad since 2015. Mm-hmm. That's three seasons now. It was better second half of 2015, obviously. Until the playoffs. Until the playoffs. And this is a team, by the way, look at look at what they've done in the playoffs the last two years. They should have lost in Minnesota. Should have. Then they go to Carolina, and everyone says, oh, that game was so close. Yeah. They were both. That race, was man. That was this Rams game, except, except Seattle the didn't come, come back. back. Even last year with Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta dominated Seattle. Yeah. They dominated them. I don't, the score didn't indicate that. But they dominated them. Remember that first drive in Atlanta when Seattle went all the <laughs> way down and scored? Like, that was so dope. It was. But, yeah. But you get where I'm going with this. Little to no You've playoff been able success to, of, of substance. But in your mind, you can justify, right? Like, you can go, well, yeah, look, look, we got down early to Carolina. Yeah. I could just see in, in the coaching staff going, oh, got down early to Carolina. But, look, we made a comeback. It was just, you know, a bad start to the game. Atlanta, you know, wow, that was a Super Bowl caliber team. But we were right there at the end. We had a chance. You know, maybe this is finally what it takes to go. Yeah, maybe those games weren't anomalies. Maybe we were lucky to even be in them. You know, maybe we were lucky to even be able to come back. Well, you can't really, you can always, football is so weird. Like Games go a ton of different ways. Like no one really thought the Rams were going to blow out the Seahawks. Um, you just got to get yourself in the position to win, in the position to be in that game and anything else can happen. So you can't reverse engineer exactly what would have happened. Uh, in those Seahawks games. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, but, but what I mean is, you know, is there anything fundamentally broken that suggests that you can't have sustainable success into December in the postseason from here on out? I, I think you got to refine that running game. You got to. But I don't think you can do it with the personnel you currently have. So you got to make changes. It's a timeless truth in football. Teams that are able to run the ball and play defense win in December and win in the playoffs. Pair that with great quarterback play, you know? Yeah. Look at the teams that win the Super Bowl every year. They had some modicum of being able to run play defense. So the defense is still there for the Seahawks, but they got to be able to refine the run game in some degree. We were talking about them abandoning the run for the sake of this year, isolated, but moving forward, I think you've got to do what you can to find a good run game that will help you win in December because that will only make Russell Wilson's job easier. Sure. I get what you're saying. In the end, though, your money's invested in your quarterback. Your quarterback yeah. is going to have to lead but you don't, to the But don't don't tell me that Green Bay isn't sitting there thinking that they want to run the ball a lot better than they have. Of they course, would have made Aaron Rodgers' job a lot easier, and they're investing the world in him. Sure, but you know, don't go out there and spend your first round pick on a running back. I guess is where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. You know, don't that that era of football is done. So I just uh, how Jacksonville looking at that though? They've won without Fournette this year multiple times. That's how it's looking. They've won big with them though. Would you rather have, I mean, dude, think about Jacksonville with, like, anybody else with that fourth pick right now. They would be is as good or better, in my opinion. I don't think Fournette has had that big of an impact. That's just how I feel. Yeah, and even if he was, it'd be an outlier. I think I agree with your overall point. I mean, I don't know. I just look at, it like, the fourth overall pick on a running back in today's NFL is just a little, I'm like, Ugh. Like, <laughs> there's so many more important positions just in my mind. But Because you're looking for a transcendent player at that at that draft pick. Yeah, I and just and running backs are rarely if ever transcendent. Yeah, I just think that I mean, look, 
I just think that there are there yeah. has been proven time and time again that you do not need a transcendent running back to win football games. You don't. And when you have a top five pick and you're using it on a running back on a position where, I mean, you can get like a, a defensive end or an offensive line yeah. that's going to be there for 15 well, they're years. they're not going to be picking in the top five, and they probably won't be picking running <laughs> yeah. back in the first round. So yeah. this conversation <laughs> is moot. But it goes back to our overall point of what kind of – Financial and draft resources or free agent resources, should they be investing in a running back slash the run game overall? Do you want to go back to a fullback style run game like they had with Mike Robinson and Marcel Reese even? I mean, that seemed to do them pretty well. Yeah, Derek Coleman. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing, though. is that Doesn't that start up front? Oh, yeah, it always does. So that's the problem. It always does. Is, like, when Thomas Rawls was running the ball well or Kristen Michael or whoever— like the offensive line was playing well at those times. It, to me, it all starts there. Like if you yeah. don't win the battle up front, it's not going to matter who you have back there. Right. You know, Marshawn Lynch is the has the league best this year. He's averaging two and a half yards after contact. That's great. But Seattle running backs are getting contacted at the line of scrimmage. So even if right. you had a Marshawn Lynch level, you're getting two and a half yards of carry. You know, and and, and <laughs> with this offensive line, it's a little fool's gold because I can think of isolated moments that they've been good run blockers and good pass blockers. I can. I can think of yeah. stretches, but my thing is those are sh- stretches that are in the minority of the game. You know, for the majority of the game, they're average to below average. And you're looking for sustained talent at that position, setting you s- yourself up for success in the run game and pass protection for the majority of the game. So, you know, right now Seattle is playing well on the offensive line 30% of the time. That number needs to be reciprocated. It needs to be seventy percent of the time. Think of think if Seattle's offensive line was winning 70 percent of the time. Yeah, as a good offensive line would. Think You'd be able good, to run the ball think well. Of how good the guys on the outside would be. Oh yeah, you know that's and that's all that's been in my head. Just hypothesizing. I mean, if look Seattle at Seattle had a good offensive line. This would be look at Wilson's a different stat, team stats this year without an offensive line that's been worth a damn. I yeah. mean. Imagine if if you could have a run game that complemented your pass game. I mean, truly complemented it, and he had time to throw the football on a regular basis. I mean, we day. know how dangerous he is. But you know, I'll leave you with this: it's depressing because in the span of sixty minutes, actual football minutes, Seattle lost playoff hopes, MVP hopes, Defensive Player of the Year hopes, and maybe Gone. have lost control of the NFC West for. Years moving forward. Could be the end of an era. Could be. You have to at least ask that question because I'm telling you, with Sean McVay, the Rams are here to stay for a long time. Seattle will win by 25 this week and all will be well. I don't see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) For Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby, Seahawks Cowboys next Sunday. We'll talk about that later. 1029thegame.com.